the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. My guest this week is John Coleman, Chief Executive of the Land Development Agency, a state body set up three years ago to deliver social and affordable homes amid the current housing crisis. With a budget of €3.5 billion for the next five years, the LDA is looking to deliver some 21,000 units in various parts of the country, mostly on state-owned land. You'll hear John talk about how the LDA will go about delivering these homes, the profile of those who will qualify to live in them, and the level of rents that will be charged to tenants of the cost rental units. John also talks in detail about its ambitious plans for sites owned by CIE in Inchicore and Houston Station and for the Dundrum Central Mental Hospital, where plans for about a 1,000 units have met with stiff local opposition. He also talks to me about its first scheme, which will involve some 597 homes in Shangana in Shankill County, Dublin, homes that could be delivered as soon as 2023. Here we go. Now, John Coleman, welcome to Inside Business. You're making a small piece of history. You're our first studio guest since February 2020, when just before the pandemic uh, broke out and uh, we all uh, scurried to our homes to um, to work from home, uh, essentially. So you're very welcome. Um, just tell us a little bit, you're Chief Executive of the Land Development Agency. Just tell us a little bit, first of all, about the remit of the agency and your role in trying to solve this housing crisis. Thanks very much, uh, Kieran. It's uh, it's an honour to be here, and just as we're we're next door neighbours as well, all, all the more eloquent, I guess. So so thanks for having me, uh, and great to do it in person. Uh, so the 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 role in the remit of the LDA essentially, at a very high level, it was to open up state land for housing delivery. So that that's the 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 very high level objective, and I guess there's a couple of nuances in that. Um, really in the split between the short term and the long term. So on the short term, obviously, there's there's state land available and other land that could be made available for affordable housing and to get that delivered given the, the need uh, that's out there uh, at the moment and will be for some time, it seems. And then secondly, if you look at uh, the root of a lot of the problems that we have now, it was through a lack of coherent uh, active land management. So if you, if you look further afield to continental Europe, um, even even parts of the US or, or the, the UK, um, successfully they have kind of drawn a red line around areas, designated them as a as an area for focus for development, and uh, in, put an implementation plan around them. And we have a version of that called Strategic Development Zones or SDZs uh, in this country, but um, they they probably haven't advanced as much as we would have liked them to because there wasn't an implementation plan around them. So. The, the longer term objective of the LDA, and I think when the LDA is reviewed in 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 twenty years' time, I think the biggest impact of the LDA will be those large scale strategic areas, and I'm glad to say we have a number of them up and running uh, as well. But obviously, short term need is is here as well, and we have to deliver on that too. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about the state land uh, a, a little bit because I know you've. Um, you're getting land essentially from a number of uh, semi-state companies or, or other agencies like CIE, ESB, Bordemona, uh, OPW, HSE, and there are probably others. How much land are you getting from those various bodies? So at the moment, um, if you add it all up, it's about, uh, if you translate it into the number of homes that could be built on them, about 21,000 homes worth of land at the moment. So we started off, we had an initial portfolio of about three and a half thousand homes um, or land that could yield three and a half thousand homes. 
we're, we're currently active on land that could yield around 6,000 homes and the vast majority of those uh, social and affordable. So when I mean active, I mean we're working with design teams to bring forward planning applications or they are in planning and we're going to procurement to get contractors to build them out. So that's the kind of the, the breadth of, of activity that we have uh, right right now and into construction then next year. But um, the Housing for All strategy that was released by the government uh, committed the transfer of land that could yield another 15,000 homes. And actually, it, it could be quite a bit more than that because there are other lands that might be state-owned that are around uh, adjacent to these lands that could be brought in where you could collaborate with the landowners there uh, to deliver larger scale master plans that could deliver uh, much more uh, over the longer term. And that's the kind of active land management piece that I spoke about as well, to to bring in those players, to to put the infrastructure uh, into the ground, to get rid of the impediments that there are to development, which is why a lot of the, the strategic areas haven't moved forward as we would have liked. Uh, to date and get them delivered. So in total, around 21,000. But the thing is, uh, we're continually looking at state lands to challenge their existing use, uh, to say, well, could this not be better used for different purposes, i.e. housing delivery? And uh, we do that on an ongoing basis. And I guess the next big splash that we make in that sense is that we're uh, required through the LDA Act to give the government a report on state lands to say, here is the the amount of state land there is, here's what we think could be done with it, taking account of various different things, and here is our recommendation. So that'll be a report that's uh, laid before the Minister and it'll be public. Uh, it'll be there for analysis and I think that will give uh, the public, probably for the first time, a very uh, detailed view of what is the state land bank and what could it be used for. When will that be delivered? We've to deliver it within 12 months of the commencement of the Act, so realistically uh, the Act should be commenced by the end of the year, so sometime in 2022. We, we're, look, we're not waiting for that to, to, to commencement to start. We're probably halfway through the work already. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, just as I walked out uh, the door, there was a big meeting on it um, uh, as I was coming in here. Uh, so uh, we, we would hope to uh, get that delivered um, uh, definitely sometime in 2022, but sooner rather than later. So I'm curious as to how the likes of, let's say, CIE, ESB, etc., how they feel about having to transfer land to an agency such as the LDA. And do they get compensated for that? Do you, do you buy that land or does it transfer for, for now? There's a, a, a nuance to that, which I'll explain now. But um, you're right in terms of the, the land that's that's coming from other state bodies. I mean, you know, it depends on the state body, but but quite often they have their own operational needs, which which we have to acknowledge are important. Like we need things like uh, security services for the military. We 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 need health services, obviously. Uh, we need transport services, uh, and not all the time are they consistent with development. So you know, sometimes it's a bit tricky. I've been honest. Um, where where we're our approach to it is to try and seek the common ground. So say when we set up with the local authorities, there was probably an initial sense of, okay, the LDA was pushed out the door and what is the LDA? And they're kind of doing what we're supposed to be doing as well. And, and, and you know, are we going to be overlapping or are we not? And over the following 18 months, uh, we found a common ground that where we could actually work quite well together in, in, a, in a synergy. The local authorities provide land and stakeholder relationships and, 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 and uh, uh, political support. And the uh, LDA just provides project management and finance support. So it was a good marriage. Then with the likes of CIE, 
uh, you know, again, similar, there was there was a question mark, would CIE have uses for, for, for the land in the main? Uh, I, I would say in the majority of cases, land isn't just sitting there with, with nothing happening. There, there tends to be things happening to it. But then as we got further into discussions with CIE and Irish Rail uh, in particular, um, we were saying, well, look, Irish Rail and, and CIE need greater activity and greater throughput and greater use to support the viability of lines and uh, train stations and so on and so forth. So they're actually very big proponents of what's called transport-oriented development, where you build around transport nodes. They're, they're hugely supportive of it. And uh, so we were saying, well, look, we, 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 can, we can help with that. Uh, we, we can help you deliver projects. We can, we can help with the master plan, such as the, the, the uh, design and master plan that we released on Colbert Station, which was done in partnership with the council and, and CIE and the HSE. But, um, so we found that common ground, but the reality is you won't always have that common ground. There's some operational and strategic commonality between the likes of local authorities and CIE, but not other bodies. And look, you know, we won't be able to please everyone, but but our job is to re- promote the use of state lands for, for housing. That's our role. And uh, the state and the government can balance whether that's preferred or other things are preferred. Uh, let's talk about CIE, though. I mean, presumably the land has a value on the balance sheet of, of CIE, let's say. So do they get paid for the land or no? Uh, they do. So we purchase the land um, at a value, and the value is impacted by the amount of affordable housing that's required. So say, for instance, the HSE in Cork or Dublin, uh, there's 100% affordable housing required on land because obviously Cork and Dublin are big pinch points for affordability. So when you apply the affordable delivery covenant over that land, the actual value of it is nominal enough or close to nil because how you make affordable uh, housing happen is by putting in things like nominal value land or lower cost land. Obviously, you wouldn't be putting in fifty or 100000 per home in terms of a land value because that would just blow your affordability out of the water then. So, yes, we pay for it, but we pay a reduced value, uh, typically. The, the, the other uh, thing that's worth noting as well is that sometimes the, the land pieces might be a part of, a small but pivotal part of much wider development. So in Colbert, CIE have, have land there that's 46 hectares. CIE uh, have a relatively small proportion of that, but it's pivotal to the, to the overall area to, to bring in other land uh, parcels. So it's not necessarily the straight transfer of, you know, a hectare of land and you can get 100 homes to the hectare on that land. And uh, and that's what's the key thing with, with CIE. Particularly with CIE, it's more strategic in nature. And uh, uh, so I, th- I think that's the, the nuance that needs to be understood. Okay. So how much is CIE getting for the transfer of its lands, for example? So we're, we're uh, sitting down with CIE, Irish Rail, and various other stakeholders to work out well what, what's the most efficient way in the wider interest of the state. We view ourselves as a as a as a system, as a as a squad approach rather than a, a individual uh, operator. So what makes most sense in the in the wider uh, uh, interest of the state? So that could be that we, you know, we might never want to buy it. It might not make sense, but that we just agree to join together various state pieces of land and bring them out to the contractor market or get partners in to help develop them and, and do it that way. So there might it might not be necessary uh, to, to, to buy the land straight up. Where we do need to buy land or where it makes sense to buy land, we will pay them uh, the market value of the land. 
the market value for, for, of the com- land. for commercial state bodies taking account of any affordability requirement that's on the land. Mm, because the market value of the land will be quite a juicy number, I would have thought. Yeah, in, in general, the market value of the land uh, anywhere, uh, look, it depends on the location. In Dublin, it's high, mm. less so in other areas. Um, uh, but the market value with the affordable covenant overlaid on it and the market value without the affordable covenant overlaid on it are two drastically different things. Um, so any affordability requirement will significantly reduce the value of the land, and um, these are these are the things that we need to tease out with the various state bodies as we as we enter discussions with them. Now, Houston Station has been identified, hasn't it, as 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 one portion of uh, CIE property that could be uh, developed, and I think mm. a master plan, American side master plan, has been has been sketched out um, for, for that site. Yeah, so th- there's there's a couple of things to consider there. Um, Houston Station, CIE are advancing a master plan in relation to Houston Station. Uh, that, that's something that was well underway before the LEA was ever around or on the scene. And look, we, we talk to CIE on an ongoing basis as to how we might help with that, and, and we continue to do so. Um, I think the the interesting thing that came out of Housing for All was lands around Inchicore, where there's actually, it's not just CIE, uh, but it's the OPW, um, ESB, and there's a bunch of uh, privately held land in there that's probably not in optimal use as well. And when I talked about the strategic areas and putting together a coherent delivery plan uh, to bring forward something like that over the longer term, um, I think uh, that's a huge opportunity down there. And our, our view is, actually, that could be a new suburb for Dublin down, down in Inchicore. And, and, you know, when we started discussing this in particular with CIE and Irish Rail, um, they were saying, look, we, you know, we've got long-term operational uses. We might want the Dart Underground to come up there or or whatever. There's a lot of things been planned for that land. And, you know, we eventually came to the realisation that, but look, that whole wider area, it's not just the CIE land, but that whole wider area is totally dependent on that transport infrastructure that's been laid down. So, of course, whatever we do, we'll, we'll have to accommodate that uh, going forward. And um, I think that would facilitate the kind of bringing forward earlier of other parts of that that wider area. So it's it's not just as straight as the CIE land or whoever owns it and delivering directly on that. It's what else does it open up? Mm. So at Houston Station, how many homes do you think you might you might get in? Uh, Houston Station is the one been advanced by CIE directly. The, the Inchicore one, um, we'll have to. What we typically do is we did this in Colbert. So we bring a lot of architects together. We have high level kind of bit of blue sky thinking of art of the possible. What's 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 possible here? We come up with a, a design review. So the URI Institute of Architects in Ireland run 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 that process with us, and then we publish that document and we see what the public think, and then we go to the next step, taking that forward a bit and produce a master plan. So I'd say that's likely what we will do uh, with Inchicore as well. Until you do that type of work it's hard to put a number on it but look very, very ballpark we think in and around eight to ten thousand homes could be accommodated in that broader area in each core stroke houston it in yeah exactly in the wider inch core lands that abut uh the colmore road so it's it's clearly uh long term but very large scale and our approach with these is that we don't want them to be drawings on a shelf or the the never never um we would also be looking for early stage kind of catalytic activity to prove that yes, this this can mm. happen and it will happen. So you've a three and a half billion euro budget. How, how much of that do you think you'll spend on actually purchasing land? It depends. So we, we we'll have uh, the review of state lands first, 
um, which will give us a firmer indication. Well, obviously, I have commitments at around 21,000 homes worth of land. We'll do this review over the next year, which will give us an even firmer indication of, of our, our land availability. And then we would have an openness where we can get value, I think, to, to acquiring land in the market where it makes sense, particularly longer term land where we can, you know, clearly we're not going to stomp in and, and add fuel to the fire of an already relatively hot land market for nearer term stuff. Uh, but we would build our, our land pipeline uh, over the long term. I'd say the vast majority of that capital that's been allocated, though, will go on delivery, so construction. And... Um, uh, well, ballpark. Yeah. I mean, you must have you, you must have a sense. You must have broken down the budget by now, so you must have a, a sense ballpark of how much you'll have to spend on on purchasing land. Yeah, no, no one's no one's putting a limit on it, um, and we're not putting a limit on it uh, yet ourselves. But to to work out how much land we'll need to acquire, we need to finish this job. On mm. well, what can we get from the state first? Because that's going to be our first port of call, and then we'll we'll put a firmer figure on that. Well, what do you reckon? Five percent of your budget, ten percent more? Um, it's it's really hard to say here. Like that wouldn't be unreasonable, but um, o- over the long term for the LDA, it wouldn't wouldn't be an unreasonable amount. I would say, but uh, it's it's very difficult to put a figure on it right now. So explain to us exactly uh, what you're going to build, how it will be procured, and the use of it. Then who's who's going to live in it? Ideally, um, mm. beyond uh, you know the construction phase. So what we're going to uh, build and deliver. Um, it's, it's mainly focused on affordable homes. So it'll depend on the site. So if, you, if you've got, say, for instance, uh, a site like Dundrum Central Mental Hospital that um, uh, has not much social housing around it or, or very little affordable housing, certainly, um, you know, th- I think obviously a very high level of affordability is going to be required there. And in fact, we're, we're going to have 100% between social and affordable. It'll be 100% uh, on, on that site. Um, which will yield over a thousand uh, units. Um, elsewhere, um, I think you know the, the vast majority of our portfolio is located Dublin, Cork, um, Limerick, Galway. Uh, all have their affordability issues. So, so affordability is, is is going to be the key. So, what we're targeting and and who we're building them for is that middle ground. They don't qualify for social housing and can't really afford the the market prices either so when you break that down how we approach it is we take deciles of household income so the bottom roughly speaking the bottom three and a half qualify for social housing and then there's a cliff you qualify for everything or you qualify for nothing and then uh the top three three and a half deciles can broadly afford their own housing needs uh what kind of income ranges are we talking here we're talking roughly speaking about forty-five thousand gross household income to uh around eighty thousand gross um, that's that's the gap where you that, you. That's the gap. That's that's the need. Where you have a that, problem. Yeah, have that's a where problem. we have a problem. They're not been served. Look, social housing, uh, to uh, a, a greater or lesser degree, has many actors trying to serve it, and obviously we need more social housing. It's not enough. There's no question about that. Uh, but it, it has been targeted by a number of players, uh, particularly the approved housing bodies and local authorities. No one is really targeting this affordable space at the moment. And look, we now have an affordable framework in the country with the Affordable Housing Act. Uh, but what we don't have is an affordable housing sector like they have in the UK, like they have in Germany and other places. And I think the big opportunity for the LDA is to turbocharge and accelerate the creation of an affordable sector so that it's it's the norm that, that there's an industry uh, around delivering affordable homes. And no one is 
quite sure how that's going to pan out yet. So I think there's a big onus on the LDA to help prove that model to do thousands and thousands of homes uh, in the affordable space to say this is viable and let's let's uh, do it this way going forward. Well, let's take the Dundrum um, Central Mental Hospital as an example. You say mm. a thousand uh, units. So are they going to be all houses? Are they going to be uh, some houses, some apartments? Mm. Are they going to be one, two, three beds? Uh, is it going to be families? Are we going to have elderly people perhaps uh, living in some of them? How, how is that mix going to work? Yeah, again, d- depending on site by site. But what we're thinking for Dundrum is, uh, look, that's that's a an 11 hectare site right in the centre of a, an area of huge housing need. It's on a, on a Lewis line. Uh, and this is sometimes controversial uh, and, and very topical at the moment, but we have to build densely there. We do have to achieve scale. And um, so that means that it's going to push you probably into more, more apartments uh, there. Now, there can be other uh, types of homes that can be built uh, maybe a, a relatively small number of of, of housing types, uh, but it's mainly going to be apartments there. I think there is an opportunity in Dundrum as well for um, kind of right-sizing as well. Like you've, you've a lot of people that are maybe approaching retirement or have, have empty nests and that could be looking for a smaller uh, dwelling to, to than, than they need now. Uh, and maybe our culture will evolve to that being a more norm uh, uh, in, in in the future. So we're thinking of that as well. So you're thinking uh, of people mainly, trading down, essentially? Potentially, but it's mainly mainly apartments. Right, okay. But if somebody's trading down, they can afford, surely they can afford their own place in the open market? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the, there's that, that will often be the case, not always the case. Uh, and if someone can afford their own way, that's not who we're targeting. Uh, we're targeting those that are stuck and that can't. Um, so that's that's clear. And I think you said 11 hectares, 1,000 units. Is there also a commercial element to it? Do we have some neighbourhood shops, uh, for example? Is there a crash or, you know, I don't know, a fitness uh, gym or something? Yeah, like that? There, there's a lot. There's a, there's a good bit of amenity space planned as well. So we, we hope to get a lodgement in on that uh, probably early in the new year. And um, But there'll be, um, like, it's of such scale uh, and such significance that it needs quite a, quite a lot of... Uh, uh, amenity as well. So you'll have a, a plaza, you'll have uh, restaurants, uh, shops, um, uh, crash of course as well. Um, so so that will all be there. And what we want to achieve with, with a place like Dundrum is proper placemaking. Um, I think we we feel we've a, a kind of a historic responsibility to do something very sustainable and attractive uh, with that site. So uh, increasing its accessibility, If you, I don't know if you know it, but if you drive past it, that wall is very, very uh, dominating. It'll be to increase the access points through the wall and uh, to make it a lot more penetrable. Well, on that point, there's huge opposition locally to the outline plan that's that there is for the Central Mental Hospital. And anybody who drives along Dundrum Road will have seen the signs. Yeah. And I think there's four access points. I was looking at one of the signs recently um, while driving along the road and I was stopped in traffic. Was, uh, traffic's actually quite bad on that road. Yeah. I live in neighbouring Churchtown. But there's a lot of opposition locally to what's being planned for there. They think it's overscaled and, and oversized. Maybe there's a bit of nimbyism, I don't know. But uh, I think there's four access points, uh, which really hasn't gone down well with the with the neighbours. Um, and they feel that Dundrum Road is already a, a traffic black spot. And if you put, you know, a thousand units, mm. probably a thousand cars, maybe more, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, it's a challenge. Look, there's no question about it. Uh, it is a challenge. Um, traffic is bad on that road. I, I regularly travel up and down it myself. I see the signs too. Um, the, our approach has been to consult pretty extensively um, and 
I would add it's it's not just lip service as, as a state body. I think we do have a duty to consult with people in the area to listen to them. Um, and uh, we we work, you know, the, obviously the the local councillors um, have quite a, a voice and a say in what happens in Dundrum as well. And look, we've been been realists. We we work in partnership with the councillors too on on other schemes such as Shangana, which they've they've. You know, we're we're grateful for their cooperation on that one as well to to help us access that opportunity. So, you know, we we want to be accommodating and to listen to people. The reality is, we have to balance that with the need to deliver. We we have an acute need uh, to deliver housing, uh, uh, as we all know, particularly affordable housing. That is a site seven hundred and fifty meters from a Lewis station. I think it's got great cycling connectivity uh, into town as well and I regularly uh, cycle down that road myself so hopefully uh, we, we'll be trying to gear it much towards uh, more active modes of transport rather than just cars. We would like to cut down on the number of spaces, uh, car spaces as well. I think if the LDA ends up operating and managing that scheme when it's built, um, I think we will incentivize away from the use of cars, perhaps by charging for parking spaces. That's something that's on our agenda as well, to disincentivize uh, uh, cars uh, and car usage. Um, so, look, there's, there's no point in saying it's not a problem. It is a problem and it needs to be addressed, but we need to balance it with the chronic need that we have to deliver housing in that area. Yeah. Now, obviously, you'd like to build a, a thousand units, and I know you've to absolutely formalise your plan and so forth, so we'll wait and see um, what, what the final outturn is. But on board Planola, obviously, uh, could... The planning authorities could shoot this down. Um, yep. First of all, they could say, no, that's that's too much. Um, you have to build mm. a fewer number of units. Uh, or you could end up in a legal, uh, tied up in a legal process with, uh, with some of the neighbours there, um, in which case the whole thing could be drawn out. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah, look, it's clear that it's, it's a problem. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, obviously, you're getting it through the, the system and there's a bit of flux in the system at the moment in relation to planning policy. So we have the SHDs on the way out and the new large-scale residential development uh, uh, framework is being introduced. I think that ultimately that'll be a positive. I think the the other the other positive thing um, that's happening in the the space is obviously as development plans are being reviewed, um, you'll have more consistency with development plans and national frameworks, national policies. So what we have now is we've 2016 development plans, which the public inputted to, then overlaid on top of that was national policy, which said something a bit different. The public's reacted badly. To that, it's fair to say, through increased use of digital review and, and other mechanisms, and um, so we we have this kind of mismatch. But I think that the revised development plans will be able to align national policy with what the public has to say as well. But then, in terms of the risk around judicial review and and and, and getting refusals, like we're we're acutely aware of that. Uh, we've had one refusal ourselves to date and, and refusal rate in SHDs, the run rate's probably about a third at the moment. Um, and we were disappointed in that. And But look, we'll we'll take it on the chin. This is Devoy, Barris and Ace. We'll take it on the chin and move on and, and, and get back in and, and address the issues that were raised. So we're acutely aware of the risk. Uh, judicial review then is another risk where there's a huge proportion of, of those, if the, of the two thirds that get approved, there's a huge proportion of those get judicially reviewed and, and Judicial review has an almost, you know, it's greater than 90% success rate uh, at the moment. And I think the work that the government is doing around uh, the judicial review reform uh, and and looking at uh, uh, bringing in measures that kind of makes it a more balanced uh, approach, I think is critically important because uh, we have a lot of land, most of it not planning consented. We need to get it through the system to get building on it. 
we need implementable planning uh, permissions. Uh, so um, I'm 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 really glad that the the government is is really uh, grasping this now because it's critically important for our work uh, in the coming years. Uh, but look, I think the public has a right to challenge uh, public body decisions. No question that has to be balanced. But ultimately, I mean, the public good and the public interest needs more housing and it can't get in the way of that either. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Now, obviously, you don't have your own construction team to build these units. So how will you go about procuring them? And we're hearing at the minute anecdotally, you know, Mm. about um, sharp increases in uh, input costs for construction, shortage of labour and so on. So uh, by the time you actually come to build them, how confident are you that you'll actually have a sufficient budget to build the number of houses that you need to build that price inflation um, won't have overtaken you? Yeah, look, it's it's look, it exists again. There's no point in denying it. Um, we, we've all seen the the various reports that come out talking about inflation and, and the rate uh, that the construction costs are running at. A lot of it influenced by supply chain. And look, there's some level of optimism that as supply chains resume, uh, that hopefully that'll settle down. Uh, you know, twelve months from now or beyond. But sure, look, we can't we can't be sure of that. Can we be sure of anything uh, at the at the moment? Uh, so um, we we have to take a a um, a kind of a, a kind of a risk conscious uh, approach to that. Uh, so, on the flip side, um, we think that you know development is often quite cyclical. Uh, we think that a government body like the LDA is going to be an attractive partner as well to contractors uh, that are able to lock down work that's going to happen come rain, hail, or shine. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't say that our, our appetite for cost is unlimited. It's not at all. Uh, we're, we're we're trying to produce affordable homes that have to have to be produced to a very efficient cost. Uh, but I do think contractors, if, if if you're a contractor and you're you're looking at the wider market and and you're aware of the cyclicality of the of the housing industry over you know how many cycles do we have in a twenty year period, um, and you're looking at the LDA uh, as somebody that's by hook or by crook, going to get these sites developed once we get them through planning. Um, I think it is is nice if you're a contractor to have a, a, a portion of that portfolio locked away uh, that, that you can bank. Yeah, mind you, we've seen cost overruns on a lot of state projects mm. over the years, including m- most recently the National Children's Hospital. Um, so there is the potential um, for, yeah. for cost overruns here. I mean, you know, let's be honest about it. Is £3.5 billion going to be enough of a budget to build the number of houses you need to build? I I I think it's 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 enough for the foreseeable future. Um, and I mean, we're very conscious of cost overruns as well. I mean, the, the, we we obviously have the the children's hospital report and the review that that was done by PwC is is uh, is a well thumbed uh, piece of work uh, in, in our office at the moment. We're trying to learn from any mistakes. I guess they're they're fundamentally quite different. You know, you have a hospital that wasn't designed in any detailed way. We're taking a different approach where we're providing quite detailed level of design so it's it's relatively um not easy but it's but it's relatively uh um conducive to nailing down to to you know specking and to 
to line by line, getting your, getting your uh, pre-tender estimates there or thereabouts. So, th- so they're two different things in terms of a risk profile, but still there are lessons to be learned. There's no question about it. Um, so our approach will be one to uh, have quite detailed uh, um, uh, jobs that we put out and, and we talk and listen to contractors all the time uh, in respect of those and, 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 to, and to learn from them as well and take their views. Um, the three and a half billion, will it be enough? It's, it's enough for now. So we continually talk to the department about our financing requirements. We project forward based on certain assumptions that we have around our portfolio and things like Project Tussing mm. that we hope to launch soon. And uh, no one has said to us that we can't have more money. Uh, no one has has uh, stated that at the time. So I think the key thing for us now is to deploy that money that we do have available to us, put it to good use. And the thing to remember about it is it's not a one-shot thing. It's not like we spend three and a half billion, it's gone, it doesn't come back. Obviously, we will... Uh, recycle we might you know who knows we might sell some homes to affordable housing bodies uh, that might be interested in social housing or or getting into the cost rental space themselves we'll be selling homes to uh, qualifying purchasers affordable housing purchasers under the shared equity scheme so money will come back in as well so we recycle it too Uh, is it enough for the 21,000 houses Uh, it depends on how we deliver the longer term stuff and and how we approach that Uh, I would imagine um, at some point uh, in the latter half of the decade that we'll be uh, looking for, for additional funding capacity. But for now, I think we're quite happy that we have the right level of support. Right. And, I mean, obviously, until a contractor gets on a site, they can't be absolutely sure how much it's going to cost because, you know, they might mm. open a hole in the ground and discover there's a problem. Um, they might discover that a material that's been specced uh, suddenly becomes unavailable or there's a shortage or whatever. Um, things can happen, obviously. So it's, it's very difficult, I suppose, to absolutely uh, pinpoint it. Um, how, how are you going to approach that procurement of contractors? How many do you see yourself using? Or Yeah, in a... In a in a, we, we have a good understanding of the contractor market. Um, you typically target uh, a contractor by a minimum level of turnover because you don't want any one contractor to be over-reliant on, on any one particular scheme. Um, so our approach, generally speaking, would be where the site facilitates it and what I mean by facilitating it through the design and access points into the site where it's conducive to breaking it up into smaller contracts to engage a wider contractor pool, more SME contractors uh, where possible. I think that's in our interests. It gains competitive tension. It brings more smaller players into the market as well, which is something that we want to support. So that's that's our approach more generally. The, the job that we have out uh, for tender at the moment, um, Shangana, uh, just its nature uh, and its design requires probably a single contractor. So that'll probably target the larger players. It'll be you know, uh, greater than 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 a hundred million. So um, uh, it's horses for courses, but in a general sense, our philosophy and design approach, you, you kind of set your contracting strategy almost through design. So if you know, uh, if if you have a district heating system, uh, and that has to be laid out over the whole site, and you've one access point. You know, it's very difficult to have multiple contractors mm. on a practical basis uh, doing that. But where you can section it off. Uh, I think that's better and it gives us more choice and more options. How many units in Shangana? Uh, 597. 597. So what's the average cost per unit build cost? For um, it's out to tender at the moment. Right. So I'll, 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 okay, I'll well, check well, let's you offline about the that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> across the 21,000, what, what do you reckon it'll cost you to build, let's say, a, a two-bed apartment or a two- or three-bed house? What's the, what's What kind of cost are we looking at? 
it's it's look. I don't want to get into it too much because we've job out to tender at the moment, or you know, revealing expectations. But the reality is, it is expensive to deliver apartments. It's more expensive to deliver apartments than houses, uh, which seems to be a kind of a counterintuitive uh, thing to think about. But that that's well understood. Um, you know, it's it's um, uh, definitely uh, definitely um, uh, kind of late. Uh, 300 grand for sure uh, on overall delivery costs for, for uh, apartments and, and I think many uh, other uh, people delivering housing uh, out there will, will will attest to that in terms of entire delivery costs and, and that's supported by pronouncements by the SCSI and others. So we kind of broadly, we, we believe that our own research would support uh, the type of uh, uh, benchmarking that's put out there by representative bodies. Uh, I think it, the thing about that is like it's too expensive to deliver apartments and I think it's not something that we're going to be able to sort out this year or next year, but I think as an industry, and that includes the LDA, uh, we need to think, is there a better way to do this? Is there a way to do them more cheaply? And is there a way to do them more efficiently? Like, say, for instance, uh, large-scale modular uh, construction on this island, um, which uh, is, is difficult because we're a small market and an island nation. And, you know, people are people are looking at it on, at a relatively kind of entity-level, smaller scale, uh, but could we play a role in a, in a, in a wider uh, industry uh, approach to modular construction, getting involved in, say, a facility or something like that? I think that's something that we have to look at uh, because we it's not sustainable uh, in terms of bill costs and, and what we're seeing at the moment and rising. Of the 21,000, how many of them will be social housing? Um, how many of them will be affordable, so maybe sold to the people who are moving in? How many of them will be um, rentals? Um, it, it'll, it'll depend. Um, it'll depend on the site. So, say for instance, on Shangana, it's two hundred out of the five hundred ninety-seven are for social, and a lot of that is down to the fact that we got it off the local authority, so they can tell us, dictate to us, what how much social is going to be built uh, there, depending on their needs. I'd say we we would cap out at that level of social housing. That's a third of that. Uh, I wouldn't say it's doing much more or probably in most cases a little bit less uh, than that but having said that we would definitely have an appetite to do more than 10% uh, social housing in many locations too um, the vast majority is going to be affordable and uh, of the uh, affordable housing that we do what's for rent the denser areas like Dundrum are going to be mainly for rent because it's very hard to turn a, a high delivery cost of an apartment into something that someone can buy even on a shared equity basis shared ownership uh, that's more uh, conducive with house forms uh, of, of production so we've another site in Balbriggan uh, which will be about 800 homes uh, the majority of those uh, houses uh, so I would say that would be really suitable for the, the affordable purchase so it's, it's hard until you have a, a pretty clear view site by site uh, as to what's going to be done I would say the portfolio that I mentioned that we're live on at the moment working through about 6,000 homes uh, on 10 different sites where we've designed teams or you know added a tender on them uh, I would say weight wise it would be about two thirds towards affordable rental Okay so of the ones that you might sell into the market on an affordable mm. basis and um, let's just say for argument's sake a unit costs you 300,000 mm. to deliver do you charge a little margin on, on top of that um, or when you, when you're selling is it you know, 300 or whatever it might be, whatever the delivery cost might be, that's what you charge? The, no, the, the, for rental, that's, that's the approach. So 
say it costs 300,000 mm. to deliver the home, um, we would do our sums on that. What's our finance costs, delivery costs, operational costs, and add it up and we charge the rent on that basis. And usually that falls in a, in a an affordable way, uh, quite a bit below the market in Dublin at least. Um, for affordable sale, um, the, the mechanism is that it's based on the market value of the house. And if the if the market setting aside the delivery cost for the moment, if the market value is three hundred thousand for ease of maths, and the person uh, can only raise funds of uh, two hundred twenty thousand, uh, they the state leaves in, be it the LDA or the local authority, leaves in the eighty thousand as a uh, equity interest that can be bought out in time by the by the owner. Right. Okay. And how long do they have to own that house or be in that house? Before they can buy it out? They can buy it out at any time. At any time? Yeah, so they could get a big promotion the following week and uh, buy it out at that point. Sure, sure. There's always the fear, of course, that they buy it out um, for the 300 grand Mm. and a year later they sell it for 400 grand. Yeah, um, well, I guess that's that's all the more prevalent now, isn't it? But uh, house house price increasing at around... What, what is or it, 10, it even 10%? could be three years yeah. down the road to sell it for 400 grand. And yeah. then it kind of, it looks bad for the state when that type of thing happens, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I think I think it's been a very good start that for the first time we have an affordable housing sector and afford, an affordable housing policy and an affordable housing act. I think that's a good start. I, I would imagine that policy is going to, this is a policy matter for the government and I would imagine that policy will evolve to require some sort of permanent affordability. That, that makes sense to me. Mm, okay. Could there be some clawback uh, implemented as part of that, so if you do sell it for a hundred grand profit, let's yeah. say in theory, after a few years, that you have to pay a portion of that over to the LDA or some other state body. Yeah, I think I think that's possible. Like, like the the interesting thing is that there there is a uh, a flexibility for the LDA to come up with its 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 own mechanism around affordable housing delivery and um, factors like that. I think we we would have to build in. It'll be based around fairness. And it'll be based around. I think we should have a long-term objectivity, uh, object to objective to to build in permanent affordability. I think that's ultimately where we want to get want to get to, isn't it? And in terms of the uh, apartments you mentioned, um, Dundrum, how much below market rates might they come in at? Uh, in terms of renting, so wh- how we think about it is um, we discuss these middle three decile uh, of household income that isn't really been served by anything uh, up until now. And um, this is the forty-five thousand, eighty thousand, forty-five to eighty thousand, exactly, exactly. So we're looking at those net income ranges and taking a third of it uh, as being a broad measure. Now it's that that's a rough measure because I mean, you know, someone on eighty thousand can probably afford to spend more of their income as a proportion on uh, than someone on forty-five thousand, say for instance, or rent. But look. It's like pulling a piece of string, trying trying to define the the affordability. But if we if we take a broadly accepted concept that around a third of someone's net income is what they can afford to pay in their accommodation cost, that's where we're trying to land, and that can be anything between you know if you take those income deciles between roughly eleven hundred and maybe fifteen hundred and forty a month uh, as been an affordable amount, and we would try to land in the middle of that. That that's a, that's where we're trying to get to. And I mean, assuming we're successful with that and we make the sums work when the costs come in for Dundrum, um, I think that's Dundrum's probably one of the easiest places to make it work because if you were to go out on the market to try and find an equivalent standard uh, apartment for rent, 
Um, I mean, you, you're definitely, you, you know, uh, as well as I do, you're you're out in church town, but it's it's got to be 2,400 a month. Mm-hmm. I, I would have thought out there on the open market. So the the thing about that is uh, that you know this is funny, but the 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 behavior and attitude survey that we just did in respect of cost rental. Um, uh, talked about affordability, obviously, been you know, stating the obvious, I guess, to a degree, but affordability is obviously key and security of tenure. But it also interestingly stated that the vast majority of people that were accessing uh, cost rental homes or qualifying for it ultimately wanted to own their own home at some point. So, how are you going to own your own home if you're paying out 2400 a month in rent and you're already struggling with, with affordability there? And we think if we're coming out with, say, 1300 a month in Dundrum. Uh, that differential of a thousand a month could be something that someone could use cost rental for a period of their lives, five, six, seven years to build up their equity, build up their deposit, and maybe get an affordable purchase home or, or buy their own home in the future as well. So we, we'd see the cost rental and affordable purchase has been, has been very compatible. And look, that's that's a huge differential to the market out there. And I guess where the differential comes from is the land cost because that land on the open market without any affordability covenant would be very high as we, as we know sure. but we're putting in the land for almost you nil. Know. So when that scheme is developed who manages it? Uh, that's what we're having to think about now so as we get closer to delivery and closer to built homes uh, that, that are coming from the LDA stable um, you know does it make sense for the LDA to draw those collectively together uh, and uh, manage them and operate them as cost rental or are there other parties uh, out there that might be able to do it on our behalf or work with us to do it, say, approved housing bodies, or a bit of both? Um, I think my personal view at the moment is, and we, we have to tease this out as a, as a board in the LDA, uh, my personal view would be that to establish cost rental as a sector and to um, perhaps garner investment in it in the future, low and slow operators like pension funds, insurance companies, which I think is is desirable, um, that the state doesn't have to pay for every single thing that comes in the affordable space. Um, I think if we're trying to create that sector, it's all about scale. And you would have European investors coming into the country here and they've been in and out of our doors uh, that would look at you with a straight face and say, look, to get interested at all, we'd need visibility on minimum 10,000 homes in a portfolio, which seems like a huge amount. To, to us as we, as we sit here. So I think it does make sense for a period of time to draw together uh, a lot of affordable homes, many thousands of affordable homes, perhaps in one vehicle, in one space, and uh, to create that scale, uh, to be able to attract that investment and to be able to prove the model. And I think if we were successful at doing that, firstly, you draw an investment in the space. Secondly, I think there'd be really strong uh, policy options for the government in terms of perhaps increasing affordability requirements going forward in a way that didn't put off existing development. Okay. So do you mean then that the LDA would pull all of that together, manage it for now, um, try and bring in some private investment, a pension fund, as you said, could be Irish, could be foreign, doesn't really matter, I suppose. Um, You offer them, they pay you a a sum of money to invest Mm. in the scheme and you're offering them a, a secure income. Um, over years and years and years, which they like, obviously, for, for their pensioners. And you presumably can recycle that money then into other developments. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's like our approach at the moment is we're well-funded enough to do it off our own steam uh, for now. But, you know, just say we proved that model and 
that we said, okay, well, now we're going to require more affordable housing on, on all land or that uh, uh, other operators got into affordable housing and wanted to invest in it, that uh, it, it was able to sit alongside private development. Um, I think that's desirable. I think the, the greatest complement to what the LDA does in this space is that you see a lot of others trying to enter the space uh, as well, uh, including the AHBs uh, and including uh, uh, longer-term uh, investors, ethical investors, pension funds. So... I think over the long term, if you're taking a 10-year view, I think it, it does make sense to try and attract that kind of money into the space. could be controversial politically because you're letting private investors into state-owned uh, housing. It doesn't sit well with a lot of, certainly with a lot of the TDs in the doll at the moment. Yeah. And you could see how they can make some political capital out of that. Yeah, investors, um, investment can come in many ways. It can come by issuing a bond. Uh, which could be done very cheaply in in the current market conditions. Um, uh, so so that that's that's an option. Uh, there, there's a there's a number of ways that you could draw it in. I think across the political spectrum, I think you know most observers and commentators and representatives had said that look, yes, it does make sense to try and attract this this uh, uh, low and slow money into the system at some point into the future. Again, like we're we're only looking five years ahead at this point in terms of our own plan. Uh, and um, in terms of the cost rental delivery plan for for, for the LDA, and you know we we are capitalised enough to deliver that directly. But I think for the broader system to be able to garner investment into affordable housing does does make sense. That'll only come if it's a proven model, and I think there is an opportunity for the LDA to prove the model. Okay, but it sounds like it's something that's probably more than five years down the road. Pro- probably is, probably is. But look, you know, that'll pass quickly enough, and uh, hopefully, at that point, we'll be achieving the scale that uh, will provide opportunities for investment to come in. Tell us a little bit about John Coleman. You're with the LDA, I think, a couple of years now. You were formerly NAMA. You're a chartered accountant by training. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I did work in NAMA. I did a number of jobs there, uh, including uh, most latterly the the CFO. Uh, role. Um, so my interest, I guess, in housing probably cropped up around 2014 uh, because if you remember back then, God, like it, we thought in 2010 we'd never need another house again. That was the narrative. And there were very few voices saying, listen, we, you know, we can't just turn off supply and, and, and just switch it on again in a few years' time. It doesn't work like that, which which turned out to be true. Uh, so around 2014, we started saying, look, is there, is there, obviously the main objective was to get, get money back, uh, plain and simple. Um, but uh, we started thinking, okay, look, is there more we can be doing in the housing space? So we, we had a look at the portfolio that we had. We had a look at the, the counterparties that were, were still there with us and seeing what could potentially be delivered uh, out, out of the, the land portfolio, which was which is a portfolio of loans, but secured on land. And we put together a uh, business plan around that. And so uh, kind of housing has been my main focus uh, since then. Um, and then uh, 2017, 2018, the concept of the LDA, or the National Regeneration and Development Agency, as it was referred to in the, in the National Planning Framework, came about. And uh, I was in the space and the opportunity came to to set up the LDA. And so we've been just past our three year anniversary um, and uh, uh, yeah, three years in, it's it's uh, flown by, I have to say. And um, I've a, I've a seven year term in the role and uh, a lot's 
lot done when I look back over the past three years that we started from zero, no staff, no computers, no nothing. We're very much a concept at launch. Uh, now nearly 60 staff. Uh, we're working on sites that can yield around 6,000 homes. We just got transferred our agreement to, uh, to transfer another 15,000. Uh, and uh, we're going to get on site uh, next year in one of the largest or the largest social and affordable housing scheme in the country. So a, a lot happened in the past three years, but I mean, there's a, there's a huge amount ahead of us over the next four years. So uh, looking forward to it. There's a lot on your shoulders. You're probably the second most important man in the country in many respects in that housing is the big policy issue of the day. Dara O'Brien is the current mm. housing minister, so he's the man in focus, if you like. But you're the person who's been charged with delivering on behalf of the state 21,000 units at least over the next five years. That's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. You're a really important guy. Uh, look, the, the, we're, we're part of a system. Um no one can do it alone. Not one agency, not one body, not one policy, not one approach, private, public, whatever. There are multiple actors uh, in it. The LDA is is a part of that. And I think, you know, we can be, if we're strategic, I think we can be a re- really positive part of that. But look, there are a load of people rolling in the same direction, proved housing bodies, local authorities, private developers, um, and uh, and of course uh, the LDA as well. So look, I, I wouldn't go so far as saying that uh, we're, we're definitely not a panacea, but I think we we can we can play a big role uh, in providing solutions. So when do you expect your first scheme to be finished, fitted out, and ready to hand over the keys to residents? So we're starting on our first scheme uh, next year, uh, Shangana, as I mentioned, which is out to tender at the moment. Um, we will have. Uh, homes completed in Shangana in 2023. Um, and, you know, the lead time to development is so long that we decided to say, well, look, is, is there, we have a lot of capital available to us now. It takes quite a while to, to spend that. It's not, you know, people talk about increasing budgets for this, that and the other. It, it, the challenge is in spending it then uh, and, and having your plannings in place, getting your procurement right, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so we started to think, well, it's not just state land that's sitting there undeveloped. There are challenges, as we know, in the planning system, and but there are plenty of planning consented lands that haven't been advanced. And actually, when, when you look into it, there's around the country around 80,000 homes worth of, of planning consents, of which about half are in Dublin. Look, it's never as straightforward as that. Some of them aren't service, some of them aren't connected or, or whatever. Uh, but there's a very large amount of uncommenced planning consents out there that could be started much sooner. So our mandate is to make affordable housing development happen anywhere. And ultimately, we got to thinking that, you know, if someone's taking the keys or sitting down the couch in their new affordable home, I don't think they're going to be particularly concerned whether the HSE or house builder previously owned it. So we're going to launch a process called Project Thusig, and which is the Irish for, for start or initiate. And um, we want to target delivering around 5,000 affordable homes uh, on lands that are not currently state lands, but um, where there are blockages that, say, providing access to an affordable housing market could unblock. So if you look at private developers at the moment, up until now, they've really only been able to sell into PRS for apartments, obviously quite a bit, and and increasing social as well. so that that accounts for for a fair chunk, but but the their their individual sales market is to people that can access money or qualify for for mortgages, which is a relatively thin slice of the cake in the big 
belly of the market is the affordable housing market. It's those that middle three deciles that, that that we spoke about that can't access the level of finance that that can't access the homes at the affordable market. And, you know, of course, if you were able to access that, there'd be a much bigger market for for people with consented land to sell into. But the it's a two way relationship because obviously if they were able to do that then you would have a much bigger proportion of the population that could access their own home or an affordable rental home. So what we're planning on doing through Project Tulsig is for an initial, say, 5,000 homes to look at those situations that could be commenced quite quickly and to say, look, if we gave you a solution around affordable housing, including finance, and we would then make it available to the end user on an affordable basis, would you be able to get delivering now on those? And that's what we intend to test over the coming weeks uh, to see will the market rise to that. Our sense is that, yes, there is a market for that, uh, but that would accelerate our delivery quite significantly and expand it um, uh, with the intention of getting uh, homes delivered uh, more sooner than 2023. Sure. So those 5,000 units, when do you think, you know, with a fair wind at your back and providing you find enough contractor or developers, uh, etc., when do you think you could deliver those? We'll, we'll have to shake the tree in a transparent way, um, but um, we would be targeting those over a, a four to five year period. We would we would have a preference for sooner rather than later, of course, uh, but we'll have to see what opportunities are out there. You have to think about a number of things, including track record, capability, etc., etc. But uh, the idea would be uh, to we would favour sooner rather than later. Okay, John Coleman, you have a busy period ahead, no question about that. And a lot of people are hoping that you're going to be able to deliver on these new homes because, um, you know, there are real pressures in the housing market. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, we wish you well with it. And perhaps you can come back at some point in the future and let us know how you're getting on. Anytime, Kieran. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to John Coleman of the LEA for joining me on the show. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. This week's programme was produced by Declan Conlon. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.